Club Podcast. My name is Jason Ariola, and joining me today is... Just call me Joe. Joe. All right. That'll work, buddy. All right. So, uh, <laughs> Joe, today we are, uh, we're going to be covering another Metal Gear game here. Uh, this one is Metal Gear Ghost. Is it Babel or Babel? I've heard it pronounced both ways. Well, Tower of Babel makes more sense, but I guess, you know, that, that kind of thing. I, I think I say Babel, but I don't know. It, I, I think it's either way. Yeah. But also, let's look up the Japanese spelling. I'm going to go look this up. So, uh, Ghost, so Ghost Babel, Babel, however you want to pronounce it. Um, this is the Game Boy Color entry in the series, which is just an odd, I don't know, an odd choice, I think, for this series. Um, it ended up coming out in early to mid-2000, which was kind of the tail end of the Game Boy Color, or just the Game Boy's lifespan in general. I think the Game Boy Advance may have even been out at that point. or, But um, this came out of course after metal gear solid and came out before metal gear solid 2 so it's in this weird area of you know as far as canonical stuff goes it's just a guide and it doesn't really fit into the timeline anywhere whatsoever but i i, I guess similarity wise it's going to be closer to like metal gear 2 or the original metal gear on the msx as far as like look and aesthetic goes uh it it does its best to kind of emulate the metal gear solid experience on a Game Boy Color, and I think it does it pretty admirably. I mean, of course, we'll get into that. But this game in general is almost a bit of a technical marvel, the fact that they got it on the Game Boy Color and working as well as it did. Um, they did have to split it up into stages, effectively, just to, I guess, kind of deal with the hardware limitations of the Game Boy Color. And I, I think this is this is one of the very few Game Boy game or Game Boy Color exclusive games. I mean, of course, you had some, like, junky-ass ports of you know, kid games or whatever the hell at the end of the thing's life cycle. But uh, this is one of the few Game Boy Color exclusive games of note. This and well, I guess there was uh, Shantae too, but this was probably, well, this is the one that people actually bought. It's fantastic looking. Game Boy Color games, if you haven't played them, they're, they kind of have this chunky look to them. I guess that was just the way that the uh, the sprites worked, but they, they all kind of had this weird, I guess... I'd actually have to look into it and see what the color limitations are. But uh, most of the time when you would see something, that you would see different shades, like, for instance, of black. And you can kind of notice this in the uh, beginning of this where they kind of shift colors. And it would just kind of have this weird, janky look to it. But, but yeah, this it looks fantastic. They have excellent animations on the characters. It's really cool because you have these very tiny, intricate characters and they have... Uh, they're really well animated. They're actually animated quite a bit better than uh, in the original games, but they're about the same scale. So I guess just for reference, but like Jason said, this is just a really impressive looking and uh, performing game for something that was real limited. And back then a portable game was usually a, a, a very limited version of a console game. And this it, it is a limited game compared to the original, but at the same time, it carries over the gameplay mechanics and just kind of the old overall experience. They even managed to get in some of the cinematic aspects of it. Yeah, I was really impressed with that. Like, I was not really expecting to walk into, I guess, what I did with this game, and it's it's held up remarkably well, I think. I mean, of course, we're, we're going to get into that towards the end here, but I mean... Just seeing how much 
they pulled out of the uh, Game Boy Color hardware to recreate a Metal Gear experience is just, yeah. It's a technical marvel that they managed to do what they did with this thing at all. I mean, it really does kind of speak to whoever, like, programmed this thing is just, you know, just brilliance on their end. Because, I mean, if you had told me, like, that this thing was playable at all and played anything remarkably similar to a Metal Gear game, I would have called you nuts on a Game Boy Color game until I, you know, played this thing recently. So, of course, there there's some limitations to not just on the, like, hardware uh specifications and technical aspects of it but there's also the limitations of the buttons uh you know there are there's a d-pad and effectively four buttons and you know i think they did a very good job of using all basically everything the game boy had to work with as far as buttons i mean you had a start select and a b and an a button i mean they didn't have the shoulder buttons at the time and they kind of remarkably like figured out a control scheme that you know felt pretty much like metal gear which like I said, considering the limitations of what they were dealing with was just impressive. I I don't want to say this is definitely, I think, top-tier Game Boy, Game Boy Color game, but I, I would put this in the top tier of the system, which, I don't know, might be damning with faint praise, because as far as Game Boy Color games, there's not a whole lot, and I think if you go back to a lot of Game Boy games, a lot of them don't hold up, but I mean, this one, this is one that I, I don't feel weird about recommending to people who have, you know, might have a little bit less affinity for the Game Boy era than, you know, you or I would. According to the Japanese, it's bab- babo- baboru. <laughs> so uh, we could say babble. We'll just I'll I'll learn to say it that way. So just for consistency's sake. Oh, it's no big deal. So. If, you, if you slip into babel, I'll probably you know honestly I'm probably gonna slip into babel just because <laughs> it's been in my head as babel for so long. And um, I think there's yeah. a I think there's a reference to or not a reference, but I mean sort of the, some of the plot stuff kind of references the Tower of Babel, so I think maybe that's what they were going for with that. And honestly, I can't think of like what Babel would be anyway, so. Yeah. Unless they're referring to Chris as a baby. <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I just kept knows. laughing because of Chris Jenner, you know, different spelling, but. Yeah, the, oddly, uh, uh, oddly similar <laughs> to what's going on today, so. Yeah, now as far as um, like the development behind this game, um, it if I'm remembering correctly, this basically, um, I think it may have been the European division, like of Konami wanted some kind of metal gear game on the game boy. As far as uh, why, I don't know, but they wanted to put something out on the game boy. And I guess Konami Japan was just like, sure, let's make this thing happen. Uh, Kojima's involvement in this. I don't know how extensive it was i mean there's a bunch of credits on here but he's listed mostly as just the producer which may just be like an honorific thing for him like it's like hey this is metal gear put my name on it basically so especially after the whole yeah. uh, metal gear or metal gear 2 snakes revenge in the u.s so snakes revenge is kind of a alternate take on what happened after metal gear and this is kind of an alternate take of what happened after metal gear 2 uh I guess the alternate to Metal Gear Solid. So you have some of the same characters, but they've just met for the first time. You know, they're interacting for the first time. So like Campbell 
and may linger in this game, but it's, it's not like they've met snake before, you know, it's kind of retelling some of that first part of the game. So, yeah, well, we're Mei Ling in solid. She's already graduated from, I think it's MIT. She's in, um, she's still in MIT. She's like right. still in school in this game. So it's like, and that's kind of, that's kind of weird that they pulled a, you know, a literal college student out to do this, like, you know, top secret like black ops mission here i don't know i don't know what the like right. like rationale behind that would have been but yeah there, there's some crazy kind of like concessions here as far as like uh reusing characters um because you know this like i said this is a guide and it doesn't really have any effect on the metal gear timeline as wonky as that can be anyway um but you know campbell and snake are sort of like reunited in this thing or or is this their first meeting i don't no, this is the uh, second meeting after the uh, after Metal Gear Two Solid right. Snake. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. So this is their and they their do refer to that. So yeah. they they do refer to that having happened. You know, he obviously killed Big Boss. Uh, he took down Outer Heaven and Zanzibar Land and all that. So and committed patricide uh, as he found out. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Which is a so weird whatever. weird thing they keep bringing up in this game. So. So uh, this takes place seven years after Outer Heaven Uprising. And, of course, I'm getting this from the, uh, you know, the uh, infinitely accurate uh, d- Internet database of, w- of Wikipedia. Uh, so uh, basically this new um, or, yeah, so this came up or seven years after Outer Heaven. Uh, new Metal Gear has been uh, stolen by Separatist Guerrilla Group. Oh, God. I don't know how you pronounce that. <laughs> Gindra? Gindra? In Central Africa. Uh, yeah, I believe it's Gindra. 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 Yeah. Okay, so we'll go with that. So the Gindra Liberation Front has stolen um, the new met- or this Metal Gear. Um, basically, they want to achieve independence from. That's a weird, like the kind of thing in this whole game. It sort of like kind of comes back to like colonialism and stuff like that too. There's always some weird underlying theme in Metal Gear games, and I think this one's like is colonialism. I mean, I know we talked about um, on the last one. Like the first one is what is it? There's that gene. And then the second one is meme, and then the third one is scene. Am I remembering? Scene, yes. Yeah. yeah, that was that's correct. Okay. Yeah, and this one it, this one doesn't fit in the rhyming scheme, unfortunately. So yeah, I mean, unless you can figure out a way to shorten uh, colonialism into that. So yeah, but he's he's come out of retirement. Uh, you know, it just seems like they're always dragging his poor corpse out of retirement for uh, to take out uh, Black Chamber there. <laughs> uh, take out Black Chamber and. Uh, yeah, basically, he's set to infiltrate uh, what is effectively Outer Heaven once again. So this is a little bit of weird revisiting of Metal Gear Two. Um, and if you've never actually played Metal Gear Two, like I, I haven't. Um, this is this is your kind of your first introduction to the events that took place there. Uh, I'm sure for a lot of people who got into the series, like or in Metal Gear Solid, like I did, this is this is sort of that point in the game where you're like, oh wow, I'm revisiting stuff or visiting stuff that has been alluded to but I've never seen before. So, right, it's a nifty little thing, but. Um, some of the people that worked on this game ended up moving or working on the Metal Gear Acid games and the, uh, Boktai game that came out for the games. Game Boy Advance, the games. infamous game that no longer really works to a point or actually, no, it, I mean, it, well, I don't know if that like solar thing would work anymore, but I mean, you know, if you, I think if you plug it into a DS, which is, or even the GBASP, I don't think it really works very well. Because I think this sensor's mm-hmm. at the top, and then with the SP's port on the bottom, it doesn't really pick up sunlight very well. So unless you play like, you know, like on your back in the grass or something, this is going to be it's a little bit tough of a game to go through. And 
because of that thing. I think it's a little tougher to emulate, although I'm sure there's some trick to being able to get around that. But yeah, that's neither here nor there. So uh, yeah, I haven't tried that on there. I, it was actually really hard to play anyway because of uh, you did have to have direct sunlight. And the problem is that and they were trying to solve the issue with the Game Boy Advance screen and you know having to have light the problem is when you're outside you can barely see the damn thing so yeah. it, it didn't work out so great so yeah. yeah i have some very fond memories or not fond memories i suppose of angling myself very uncomfortably in bed trying to play uh the game boy advance so yeah i remember being on a flight and like sitting directly underneath a light, like sitting there kind of like angling. And every time like the, you know, we would hit a little bit of turbulence and be like, Oh God, I lost my angle. So I'd sit there for a minute or two trying to find the angle. And, you know, imagine sitting nearly cross country, trying to hold a Game Boy Advance in an exact position. So you can see the bloody thing. Yeah. I mean, that system yeah, had its own issues, but anyway, uh, so let's get back onto metal gear. <laughs> This game starts out sort of the same way that the, um, or same way Metal Gear Solid does with a bunch of um, sort of cutscene-esque things where everyone, I don't know if I, I don't know if you picked up on this, but it seems like everyone's got a, a certain color scheme, like Roy Campbell's kind of like green and gray, which is really weird. I don't know. I, I mentioned this off offline. Um, it looks like somebody took Campbell's face and just dunked it in ash. It's really kind of freaky looking. <laughs> when you look at it close enough, it, it, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's very odd, but everyone's kind of got their own color scheme. I think Mei Ling's is kind of like purplish. Uh, Snakes is blue as, you know, he just, his, his outfit is always blue, which I never really thought made a whole lot of sense. You would think like gray maybe would be a bit better rather than a blue, but yeah, whatever. Um, after you're done with the introduction uh, thing that you can skip, I mean, I, I think that thing, can, I think that thing lasts like five minutes if you let it sit long enough too. Um, you will jump out of the airplane and do a, what is it? A, a halo halo jump. Yeah. Yeah. Halo jump. Uh, you don't really see any of the halo jump. Uh, the, the scene that, um, uh, as close as you can see to the scene of it, the back end of the plane opens up and you don't even see like snake jump out. It's just the back of the plane opens up. And the next thing you're kind of, you kind of land in, uh, outside of outer heaven. I think if I'm remembering right. Like you said, like three kilometers or something out of it. So, and that's it's kind of funny because in the NES or the Famicom version of Metal Gear, that's how he got in in the first place. He jumped into the jungles and then infiltrated that way in the MSX version. He kind of swam in and then climbed out of like a river or something like that and got into there. So oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. But there's a lot of kind of the the transition i guess it's it's kind of similar this is uh it, it's a little bit like 
the beginning of the NES game because you actually started in the jungle and then you made your way to the buildings rather than starting in the facility. So there was actually a different entryway that he took basically between those two versions. And then uh, it's kind of like in Snake's Revenge too, where he started out in a jungle and then had to make his way into a facility uh, kind of taking advantage of people not locking the door. So there's a lot of little things. I don't know that that was intentional, but I, I don't think so. But uh, there are some kind of similarities between you know the stage. And actually, if you look at the overall game, there's a lot of similarities between how they progress and how Metal Gear Solid progressed and how uh, the MSX games progressed. So, Yeah, I think there's a lot of... Uh similarities in almost all of the games they all they all kind of follow a very a very loose structure of sorts um it's it's almost like it kind of like every zelda has a certain structure well not everyone you know but most of the mainline zeldas uh, follow the same structure that, that was set by a link to the past i think uh metal gear sort of like references itself from the very beginning like, I'm, I'm not too familiar with the original metal gear uh is it kind of structured the same way as the all the other entries in the series uh, more or less, you have you you infiltrate, you get shit, you get uh, at some point you. I'll see. I'm trying to think of how they usually go, but anyway, there's always something where he gets captured, he gets put in jail, he has to remove something that they put in his crap when he gets it back. <laughs> yeah, I remember you mentioning that. They there's that usually there's usually kind of a a boss before the last boss, and then there's a final you know, battle and metal gear solid pretty much follows the, the progression and, and story beats like things like somebody is a traitor or somebody, you know, somebody you knew has been resurrected as a cyborg ninja. Cause that actually happened in metal gear two first. Um, there's the whole thing where he fights gray Fox in a minefield. Well, you know, shirtless in a minefield. Well, he fought, you know, liquid snake, the, the thing is, though, that like Liquid Snake basically took up like three or four boss fights, basically, uh, that would have been multiple other characters in, in the prior game. So it's kind of interesting. So Yeah, Liquid had that thing of just keep coming back for more. It doesn't matter what you did to him. So. Right, yeah, so, um, he was just basically like the Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing I kind of like about this opening sequence is you're sneaking through the jungle and you're introducing some stuff that doesn't really come back. Um, and that's one of the... I think uh, this this game's strengths is it uses some stuff that they don't really use again. I mean, it gives you a lot of inventive ways to kind of go through and sneak around. Um, you know, there's the guards you can just sneak around. It brings back the trucks from the, I think, the first two games uh, that you can go into and find uh, and find items and ammo and stuff like that. Even though initially, like, you can't, ca I mean, I guess throughout the game, you really can't, it doesn't seem like you can carry very much ammo. Like, I was constantly being told, hey, all your pouches are full. I'm like, oh, my God, okay. And I always had a hard time differentiating uh, any sort of item on the ground. Like, I, there's some color differences to them, but like in my head, I couldn't really ever keep it straight. Like, so I just went went for every box basically. Um, one of the cool mechanics I thought was um, that you can like hide in mud and hide in um, like tall grass to evade some of the soldiers. And I mean, that's something that wasn't used in Metal Gear until Metal Gear Solid 3. So I don't know if like that was an idea that they saw. Uh, you could actually in, well, you could in uh, Metal Gear 2, actually. Oh, could you? Okay. Man, yeah. That's, uh, that, that game was way ahead of its yeah, time. Oh, it was, it, that, and that's the thing. I, I'm really impressed by how much they were able to 
put into that. Uh, but like things like the walking over a certain type of ground would make noise and alert soldiers that started in that, uh, you know, leaving the footprints, you know, th- things along those lines. It's uh, it's really super advanced and it's I think it's held up really well. I know a lot of people have a hard time playing it, but uh, and I can understand. I mean, it's the gameplay itself is hasn't aged as well, but there's a lot of when you kind of step back and look at it, it's just like really impressive. And this is pretty imp- like not as impressive, but it's still incredibly impressive what they were able to cram into this game as far as the content and everything. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think if you're going to recommend like an old metal gear to kind of get a sense of like what the series was, I think this might be a good like entry point because it feels, yeah. it, it has some of the, it has some modern conveniences, I suppose, compared to the original two Metal Gears, and it seems to take a lot of that, um, you know, advanced thinking that the series didn't even, like I said, didn't even adopt until Metal Gear Solid Three, but you know, Metal Gear Two had. So I think this is kind of a nice, like, like I guess, middle ground in between what Metal Gear Solid would become and then what Metal Gear originally was, with a little bit more playability, I suppose. And like I said, this is. Um, this is a uh, kind of a nifty little area where you're introduced to like just the, I don't want to say a variety of environments that you're going to be sneaking around in, but I mean, there's so much of this stuff that they don't really reuse. Um, and I, I don't know. I was, I was really impressed going through this. I mean, there's even the dogs that you can like the dogs, like there's their line of sights, just as good as the soldiers, but they can also smell you. So you, like hiding and stuff doesn't really work out very well for you either. Cause they'll, they'll still smell you out. So, and you know, some of the, sol- I mean, the soldiers in this thing, they're, they're dumb. I mean, compared to even like in the original or in Metal Gear Solid, like the soldiers in there are just, you know, I mean, they're not, they're not the greatest, but you know, they'll, they won't give up entirely after, you know, 12 seconds of looking for you where they, like, right. Yeah. Th- these, and of course it's hardware limitations, but man, those soldiers in this thing are particularly dumb. And so some of their are like, I don't know about you. I, the first time I went through, I was trying to be stealthy and I just didn't really feel like I was, you know. I don't, I don't know if the game's really equipped to be entirely stealthy. Like I, I really had a hard time kind of going through and not killing things. Um, this a one, lot of it was uh, knocking them out. You had to punch them out, and it really didn't uh, cause that much of an issue if you snuck up behind them, punched them out, ran by them, you know that kind of stuff. So yeah, actually, that was kind of what I did. And I think if I'm if I'm gathering correctly, I mean, we'll get to that. In a, or further down the road here, but I think um, I think punching them out counts as killing them. I think it's the same. I, this game's equivalent of just snapping their necks. Well, that was one thing they. I, I know that uh, they they took that out because of. Well, they get back up though. That's the thing. They'd. Uh... Well, I think there's. I think it's further down because I remember punching some of the ones in the beginning, and they went down after like you know the three punches or whatever. And then about yeah. middle of the way through the game, like I would punch them and then they, they'd get knocked out, but then they'd get back up again. Oh God, I'm not going to, Oh God, I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> so, oh. um, but anyway, they, um, they, they get up and, but as soon as you like punch them again, I think they drop dead that time. I don't know if there's some sort of like maybe concession as to like, maybe the enemies are getting a little bit tougher as your arsenal gets improved, but it just seems like I was having a harder time, like taking some of these guys out. Like, these in the very beginning, it's it's kind of a one shot kill um, with your five seven or five seven. Is that what? It, yeah, the five seven. Yeah, it's supposed to be a five five seven, but you know they must have shortened it. But. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah weird. Anyway, and um, 
like and some of the enemies like in the actual fortress once you get in there will take two shots with that thing so i think there's some sort of concession to like them being stronger inside i remember the dogs uh, taking more shots for some reason well, I guess it's because they're tougher, but, you know. I was going to say, the dogs are kind of a pain in the ass to kill because they move very quickly, and they will just, they, I mean, they'll just jump on top of you and maul your ass. And if you're not careful and you don't move away very quickly, um, you can you can find yourself getting overwhelmed by a bunch of dogs. Like, I remember, like, I mean, the dogs kind of took me out pretty quickly the first couple times I ran yeah. into them because I was trying to sneak past them, and they just, like, hey, there, there's there's that guy. And I was like, oh, oh, oh shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. And <laughs> just basically based on the the... the like the system I was using to play this thing on the start and select button are in a kind of a weird position. So I kind of like I was going to try to switch over to a gun or something like that. And I'd ended up uh, just crawling instead because start is the crawl button and select is uh, basically what drags, yeah. drags up the pause menu, which lets you you know cycle through your inventory and use the codec. So, um, you know, one thing I did forget to mention, too, is you're, um, you know, right after this or in this area, I guess you're introduced to your, you know, your support team. We mentioned Mei Ling and Campbell, but you're also introduced to McBride, who's CIA, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and Weasel, and then, who is a mercenary, apparently in the same ballpark of ability as, as Solid Snake is, which I don't know if I would have went with the name Weasel. But I mean, I guess I don't know if you're really given a choice with these names. So. Weasel, just, yeah, yeah, and his portrait's a little weird. I, I oh, that is one thing I will kind of, I want to mention is, the characters that were already kind of established in this series, their portraits come across as pretty good, but the ones um, that this is their first appearance, like Weasel and McBride and even uh, Chris, who you know we're about to get introduced to, um, their portraits don't seem as good. They, they they seem a little bit more like almost like wide-eyed anime kind of characters versus like Snake, Campbell, and Mei Ling. Well, I think it's because, uh, well, they definitely look more like the the guy's other style. So they kind of look. You can tell that he was aping the design, you know, the designs of the characters from the existing uh, game. But then, if you look at them, they're they're more along the lines of what you see in uh, Boktai, yeah, and it's just kind of it's a very loose kind of sketchy style. Yeah. Talking yeah, about myself. I'm not very good at uh, describing art style, so I'm going to got to go. Gotta, gotta well, I'm not either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible, but uh, it, it's an interesting, I guess, like differentiating thing between the characters that are introduced in this game and then the characters that are just not holdovers, but they're brought over. I mean, I guess it's a total of three characters that really are, but yeah, you can definitely see the different character design, I guess, style. For those three that are brought over, Mailing does have sort of like a little bit more of, of of that soft feel to her that the other characters do. But I mean, I guess it's I guess you can also just attribute to that that she's supposed to be sort of cute. Um, and you know, of course, Snake. I think is I remember, and of course, Snake hits on her. I mean, just that's just what Snake does. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you if you're a female, Snake's interested in you. You're female and you're breathing. Snake's interested in you for some ungodly reason. It's kind I of I was a, gonna say, you know, considering it's you know two or three years before Metal Gear Solid, uh, and she's younger, that's, I guess it's possibly creepier. I don't know. But, uh... Oh, she's, in, she's in college. I mean, unless she's some one of those savants or whatever that, uh, you know, she's she's 16 years old at MIT or something like that. Then it, then I think we're in the realm of creepy. But I think she's probably <laughs> like 20 years old in this or something like that, so... I would, uh, yeah, I, the... I would put this as not so creepy, just weird that, like, Snake just immediately, like, hey, want to see my snake? 
<laughs> now the uh, uh, she kind of looked like uh, Chun Li from uh, Street Fighter Alpha. That's what I always thought. You know what? Yeah, now that you mention that, it, it it is kind of like what she does look like. It's that's a good reference there. Yeah, she's she's definitely got that that look to her. So, all right, and, and uh, so uh, we're we're eventually uh, introduced. Or oh, you know what? We're, we did kind of completely forget to mention that uh, a Delta Squad force is sent here to basically get the guy who created Metal Gear extracted, and uh, you get a message from Campbell that the entire squad was wiped out, um, except for one, and that is uh, Chris Jenner. And I don't think you're immediately told that she's a female. So of right, course, it's C H R I S, not you know. K-R-I-S, so. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, there, there, there's maybe some, like, little, like, subterfuge going on there that this might be, you know, this might actually be a guy, and then you run into Chris, and it's like, you know, Snake immediately uh, pulls out his snake again, and like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> like, he kind of berates her a little bit, and then he, and in the same breath, like, hits on her. It's just like, God, Snake, can you just cool it for one second? I mean, you know, she just, she had her entire squad wiped out, and you're sitting here trying to sleep with her. It's like, dude, just, just back off a little bit, will ya? So, um... So Chris is the sole survivor of the Delta Squad thing. You you meet up with her, and, or you basically meet, contact her over Codec, and she tells you how to sneak into the base, and you you can't go into the front door like you did a lot. Or I guess in Metal Gear Two is that is that how you did it? You got in the front door. Uh, kind of uh, had to go through these vents. Well, there was a couple of ways in, but it, it was more like in Metal Gear Solid. This is actually closer to uh, Snake's Revenge, where except in this one you didn't get. You're, you didn't have somebody get themselves kidnapped to uh, get you through the door. It, some guy is just as dumb and he leaves the door open. So, <laughs> yeah, this um, this you have to sneak in through the vents too. So, well, th- th- that was kind of cool because he, you know, if you followed the guy, you got to the suppressor. You found that. So, uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, but nice little yeah. There's there's so many little touches in this game, and I mean we'll, we'll, we'll try to bring them up as they come along. But I mean we're gonna I think we're gonna kind of tangentially go backwards a couple times and forwards, just talking about the little things that they throw into this game. So, um, and as we mentioned here, this game is d- divided up into stages. Effectively, um, I don't know about you or how you did, but man, I I got a terrible ranking on nearly all of them. Um. It kind of, I got good on a couple of them, but yeah, I uh, just, you fancy. I messed up, uh, <laughs> yeah, I killed, uh, no, it was like, I was kind of surprised, but, uh, I think it was based on just how many you killed and how oftentimes you, I kept getting discovered. I was terrible at that. I had a really hard time with cameras, uh, you know, getting past those cause I was trying to run under them like in Metal Gear Solid, but the problem is, um, they could see you, you had to use the box. Yeah. Yeah, um, you had to, well, actually I just stopped, uh, trying to run under them, but could you do the, you know, pressure back against the wall and sneak? I think you could. No, I but, tried that. That doesn't work. Uh, yeah. It's still, it still would catch you. I was like, yeah. Cause I, I figured it like, Oh, I could go under it and it'll be fine. And I pressed myself up against the wall and started, you know, doing the scoot and yeah, it just went off. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, clearly that doesn't work. Great. Swell. <laughs> so uh, the, the cameras were the bane of my existence in this game, especially like the gun turrets later on. Uh, just really, God, I just thankfully you don't run into them too too often, and they always give you a way to kind of get around them if it's an area you're supposed to be in. Um, did you say you could plop yourself in a box and let it pass you? Yeah, 
Oh man, you know I don't so, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Um, I was just basically I just basically started using chaff grenades every time I run into an area where I couldn't see like a easy way around the ca- or yeah, an easy way around the cameras. I just throw a chaff grenade. Yeah, most of the time I uh, if once you got those, that was probably the better way to deal with it because you know it was just a lot faster. <laughs> but uh, the yeah the boxes yeah you could always do those uh, yeah use that to sneak past the cameras. But in the other games, it's just it was easier in Metal Gear Solid and stuff to be able to just run past them like that. So, you know, underneath them rather. Yeah. All right. And so once you're infiltrated, um, there's actually like, this is another, like one of those little, little throwaway things. I think this is in the, yeah, this is in the third stage. Uh, you're going through the sewers and these two soldiers are like commenting on it or to each other that there's been a lot of heavy rains all of a sudden and that, uh, there's going to be some flooding in the sewers that you're in. Um, you go through this area and it, this kind of horrifying sound effect of rushing water comes through. I mean, if you're playing with headphones and you have it up a little loud, like it might, it might, might, might hurt your ears a little bit. I don't know. Maybe I'm just sensitive to those noises, but, um, this like rushing water thing will come through and just wipe you away. So the, the key to getting through these sewers is you have to kind of go around the maze sections and then hang yourself onto a ladder and then move on. Which I thought was like a neat little effect, and it's something that they never do anything with after this stage. I, well, actually, no, they do kind of bring it back up as far as like the flooding goes, but it they it, like I said, this rushing water mechanic, they never never bring that back, and it just I don't know, I, I, maybe it's just because it's the portable nature of this game. They wanted to make a bunch of little things that would keep you interested and keep you going, especially since these episodes you can plow through them, and I mean if you know what you're doing, you can probably get through most of these in like ten minutes at most. Um, yeah, me going through the first few times, I mean, there was a few of them. I ended up getting lost a couple times and probably took me like a half hour, 45 minutes to get through a couple of them. I think one of them, I got really lost and I spent like an hour doing it. So I think the part with the, where you had to do the cardboard boxes, I, I had a hard time with that, with, uh, getting the, through the sorting. Oh, did you, that uh, was, did, uh, that was, go ahead. Oh no, no. I just, I screwed that up a couple times. So it took longer than I figured on uh, uh, but I'll, uh, I'll tell you the truth on that one. After screwing that up a few times, I got to walk through. I was like, I am oh, not okay. doing this. <laughs> I, it, no, the thing in the really sewer, that. that that made me think of, uh, did, do you ever watch It's Always Sunny? No. Okay, there's an episode where they're trying to get to this uh, movie. It was uh, this thing called Thunder Gun Express, and they were, you know, everybody split up, and they were trying to take a different way because, you know, there's just really bad traffic, and they're trying to get to the premiere of this movie. And uh, one of the or two of the characters go through the sewers because this one guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, he's like, I always do this. It's, it's super fast. And uh, the problem is like waves of sewage would come through every once in a while. And he's like, this is why you take off your clothes and hold them over your head uh, so they don't get wet. <laughs> and then uh, they just so I was thinking about that when I, I got to this, uh, obviously. And it's funny because I remember this part. And when I saw that episode, I thought of this. So that was kind of it was like a. Reversal. No, uh, I thought that was a really cool little uh, set piece. And and they do have one of the cool things is they do kind of have a gimmick or there's something you have to use a tool to get around or you have to do something to get around it. And I I did kind of like that. Uh, Like later on, you have to use the IR goggles or the night vision goggles to see stuff or the the vapor, (laughs) the the what you call it, cardamizer or whatever. I have to look and see. Do you know if they called the the cigarette? Well, it's called a fogger. 
because mm-hmm. they wanted to get around the, the drug reference or whatever in the U.S. version and get an E rating. Uh, so they didn't call it a cigarette. You had this thing called a fogger. I'm just wondering if those were cigarettes in the Japanese version. You know, yeah, because even in the European version, it's called it's called a fogger. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I, don't, I, I wonder <laughs> if they just sort of use the same localization thing for it as. Um, I guess so. Yeah. As 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 the American one, yeah, because I I thought it was weird too, and and they even show like Snake smoking in the in the opening cutscene. But they don't actually show the cigarette. They show like a little like cigarette smoke like trail going up. So I wonder if that was a way to get around it too. Like, hey, this this could be anything. Or it could be something steaming in the background. You don't know. This might not be a cigarette, even though it's you know pretty obvious implication that snake smoking. So, smoking well, there was that, and then uh, they talked about whiskey in the beginning too. That was kind of interesting. That slipped through. So yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff in this game that I cannot believe this game got an E. I mean. You know, they talk about genocide. I mean, usual Metal Gear stuff, I guess. But it's just like they, they talk a lot about stuff. And I mean, you know, one of the bosses. I mean, well, you know what? We'll I'll I'll talk we'll about talk that about... We get to him. <laughs> Man, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of weird stuff going on in this game. So, um, so moving on from there, you go through. I think this was maybe like one of the areas. Like I think I had a problem with where I think it was the tower. This is the fourth stage. I got I think I got lost a lot in this area. I thought that was the uh, third stage with uh, where you're trying to meet Chris. That was tricky, you know, going through all that. That was the third stage, right? I think so. Yeah, um, and that's also that's also another like a thing that they brought the uh, Game Boy Color thing, uh, made, or made use of the Game Boy Color thing. Chris will tell you she's to differentiate herself from the other characters because they can't really, uh, you know, show you a wiggle walk like they had Meryl do in, uh, in Metal oh, yeah. Solid. Um, they basically have her doing, um, or she said she's going to wear her, a ponytail and then snake comments that she's, or, you know, that anyone or a lot of these soldiers have ponytails. And so she's going to wear a red baseball cap too. So I thought that was kind of inter- an interesting little touch there. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, so yeah, she's yeah red baseball cap ponytail. And so you kind of have to watch for that. Like I, I, wasn't really sure what I was looking for ponytail wise. And so the first person I saw with a red baseball cap, I was like, Oh cool. I went up to him and just the alert went off and, you know, clubbed me in the head with the gun. I was like, well, clearly that's not Chris. Wonderful. <laughs> so that did not go very well for me. Um, yeah, the fourth stage, let me see. Yeah. You end up, you end up going through the tower area again, or a little bit more of the tower area, uh, back down into the jungle. And this is where you fight the first boss who is, Oh God, what is his name? Slasher, Slasher Hawk. Hawk. Yeah. Slasher Hawk. It was, Man, weird, weird stereotype of Aboriginal people from Australia. <laughs> so, well, like, it was weird because he was basically a guy that was uh, adopted by uh, the you know Aborig. Well, he was adopted by some Aborigine people, but then the remainder of their group shunned him, and and he basically had to deal with racism all of his life. And that was kind of like, whoa, that was a little heavy. Because basically the Aborigines were racist against him, and then he had to leave. They kicked him out, and then everybody was like, "Well, you're, an, you know, you're an Aborigine, so they're racist to him." So it was like, okay, that was kind of weird. But then he decided to have a five foot long, uh, and they say specifically it's a five foot long metal uh, boomerang that can cut a calf in half. Yeah, that was another. Yeah, like I said, this game should not have gotten an E. I there's no getting around this. 
just some of the some of the stuff they put in text it's like okay so we're dealing with racism and then a guy with a gigantic boomerang who can cut a cap in half i mean yeah it's just weird that they got that specific with it it's like okay well all right i mean i guess if you're looking for a gigantic land animal that seems realistic that something could cut through in one fell swoop i guess a cow is a good way to go but i don't know it just yeah just this oddly specific thing i mean it could have said like cut a person in half maybe but yeah and of course you know that doesn't really actually work because you know you can take a few hits from the boomerang just fine so because video games so um I, this fight's not too difficult I, I i'm trying to remember like I think I just used grenades. I mean, the grenade, like, so much yeah, so that you, the uh, chaff grenades were the, you know, the superstar of Metal Gear Solid. I think the just regular grenades are the superstar of this game. Yeah, you ended up using it for, it was kind of weird because some of the later bosses, you would have used uh, the Stinger missiles, but for whatever reason, they, they didn't go with that. So you just, uh, it's kind of interesting that they did what they did. But, I mean... That's fine. I mean, it doesn't make sense, and we'll talk about that a little later with one of the bosses. It's like, yeah, I don't think that would happen. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of odd concessions here, but I mean, I guess considering, like again, considering the hardware that this is on, they did. I think they did the best they could with the uh, with the bosses, and I, they're they're not up to par for most Metal Gear bosses, but they're still pretty good boss fights. So, um, and also like having the boomerang fly around, you lobbing grenades and. And then in the, like, second half of the fight, like, he starts throwing his hawk, or not throwing his hawk, but sending his hawk after yeah. him, too. You know, there's a lot going on in the, uh, you know, on screen, and there's really no flicker, no slowdown. It's a pretty impressive little thing for the Game Boy. I mean, you know, if you remember, like, playing Super Mario Land, like, you know, you get, like, two non-goomas or whatever they are, you know, the goomas yeah. or whatever on there, and you'd start getting slowdown or whatever. I mean, God forbid he threw, like, the little marble or whatever is in there, too, and it just, you know, comes oh, yeah. to a complete crawl the fact that they managed to do this with basically the same hardware was pretty impressive. And, you know, like I said, keep it from slowing down. So, uh, that is something I guess on pretty much all fronts with Metal Gear games, like they're almost always like technical masterpieces. This is in his death, uh, you know, his death speech. Uh, he tells you about his history and everything, and it's like I, I didn't really ask, but I guess we're gonna get told it anyway. Okay. <laughs> Snake's uh, Snake seems a very good, seems yeah. He, maybe he should consider once he re- retires for good from being a soldier, uh, he should be like a therapist or something <laughs> or a counselor. Like he's a very good listener. <laughs> so 
Unless you're female, then he's trying to sleep with you. So maybe just, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Snake's a, Snake's a weird guy when you really get down to it. Like, he's this, like, amazing, like, you know, killer and uh, super soldier and sneaking expert. He's also a good listener, but then he just wants to shove his uh, snake in anything that has a receptacle, it seems like, sometimes. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, and this comes, you got to gotta the, deal with that stress somehow. So, you well, know, that's true. Yeah, you know, I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. I, I, I completely understand that. So, <laughs> and this moves us on to stage five, which is my least favorite stage is the barracks. And this is the conveyor belt stage. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Boy. Um, I, if this game had a, had a point where I think I may have thrown in the towel, uh, this may have been it just because of how frustrating this area can be. Um, thankfully there is, uh, some, uh, w- w- you know, what? I'm going to call him a uh, demigod. Uh, of a person putting uh, the map and all of the little color things you need to do uh, on on the internet. And boy, let me tell you, that, that was a huge help. It shows you like which direction the conveyor belts go, uh, which, I, I guess I'm not really explaining this very well, but uh, you have to get into a box, and the box doesn't really work as well, I think, in this game. Like, I, I don't know about you, I was having a hard time uh, using the box for anything outside of the... Um, this conveyor belt thing like i it seemed like the soldiers always knew i was in the box i don't know if there's some sort of well thing. the the box the soldiers are the soldiers in the box never really worked past the the uh, original game i i felt i don't know uh this though it's it's useful for getting past the cameras i guess but it's kind of hard to i had a hard time uh just you know switching on and off you know getting getting to it i guess it, it was just easier to use the chaff grenades yeah this is a uh, this is another instance of like this game, and I don't know if we really talked about the character sprite work, but man, the sprite work in this game, considering what they had to deal with, I mean, I, I like you know the fact that Snake actually has a uh, you know or can move diagonal in this game is pretty impressive by itself, um, and just has unique sprites for that. You know, it even has his headband kind of waving when he's on the side or in the, or going diagonal. Um, I, I think one of my favorites in this is just the box, the way it moves ever so slightly off the ground. You know, give you yeah. the implication of the feet, you know, being out there while snakes like walking. Like you don't actually get to see the feet; it's just the or the box just gets a shadow and moves up a little bit. But it's a nice little nod to you know snake running around in a box and how ridiculous that must look. So it's like, you've, like we said, we've got the super soldier r- running around with a covering his body up with a box with his feet just kind of sticking out as he's running by. I mean, it's got to be quite the sight, and I think this game does a nice little nod to just how ridiculous this whole segment is. So. Um, well, they have uh, multicolored cardboard boxes too, so that's yeah. So yeah, thing. you have to get in the, into the box to get onto the, onto the conveyor belt, and then there's these stations that it will decide which direction you go on based on what color box you're in. Originally uh, or initially, you only get the yellow box, and then as you're going through these conveyor belt sections, it will drop you off in certain areas, um, and you can get different colored boxes. Ultimately, you get uh, red, blue, and yellow boxes and you have to use these sort of to chain together like what direction you want to go in so you have to go into the menu switch out what box you want to get into it's honestly like i said if i was playing this without a guide or any sort of walkthrough i mean i this may have had me throwing the towel i mean i just found it completely frustrating it's i don't know i had a hard i don't know i always have had a hard time putting like maps together in my head of certain areas and this was one of those things like i just could not remember and after you know going back to the same area a couple times or just going to dead ends, like, I just kind of threw threw a guide up, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to use this as a walk through the hell with this this area. I, I want out of this area before I get completely turned off from this game. Yeah. But the, 
Well, once you get past that, um, oh well, uh, let's see. We I'm trying to think. What what part was that? Did we get to Jimmy yet? Um, I was I was actually just going to get there. Um, yeah, getting okay. getting out of these out of these boxes, uh, this box area will lead you to Jimmy, who is the creator of Metal Gear. Who, man, oh man, um, I don't like Jimmy. I gotta say, I do not like Jimmy. <laughs> oh, he's a little shit. I oh, mean, yeah. he's it's kind of funny because uh, you know Otacon's a dork, but he's also kind of likable, and you know you you feel bad for him despite you know yeah. he he obviously invests a lot of him you know, emotion on women that he probably shouldn't be. Uh, but Jimmy's just kind of a little prick and he's just not, I, I don't know. I guess that was kind of the the point they, you know, he's kind of disposable, but I, I'm kind of wondering why they even really bothered. I guess it was just because they had to have something where you rescue the person that, you know, created Metal Gear. Yeah. So. Yeah, they, yeah. The plot reasons, basically. It's, you know, I think it's the only reason he exists is just to be, an information giver of how to stop Metal Gear. Like, I mean, they literally could have just had it a file, I suppose. So, um, it was kind of interesting because he's, you know, he's like a little fat kid, and it's kind of weird, but he's just such a prick to Snake, and it's just like, okay, yeah, and you know, and too. he doesn't really, yeah, he doesn't really get better. <laughs> no, no, he's kind of a shithead. Um, like, I, one of the few notes I took of this game is like, he looks like like his sprite work. It, um, he just looks like a fat guy wearing a bowling shirt. Like that's just what he reminds me of. It's just that stereotypical like fat dude wearing a bowling shirt going to his bowling league on a, on a Saturday night. You know. He kind of looks like I forget who he uh, looks like, but he looks like a anyway, whatever. But uh, yeah, the but yeah, you you kind of uh, after that. I think the the chapter ended after that, right? Yeah, and that's when you move on to. Um, where the power gets cut off and you have to go get the power turned back on. And this is where you need to, I, I think this is where you get the night vision goggles. If I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Right. And then, uh, you had to use the, you could use the thermal goggles too, but, uh, there was, that was kind of interesting. Cause well, later on that, that kind of has some, uh, there's a little bit of a difference in, you know, like when you get to the boss, but, yeah, you know, and one thing I think we did forget to mention is you, the way you get Jimmy is, um, you know, you, you come to you come to the front of his um, holding cell that he's in, and he'll tell you that uh, you know they've recently been putting walls up in this area, so they they should be pretty you know, fresh and weak. So you go get some C four, you blow the wall, and I didn't find this myself, but I was reading that it, um, you can actually blow up the wrong wall, and Jimmy will will like you know just make fun of you for blowing up the wrong wall, basically. Hey, what the hell are you doing? You know, it's just like, oh man. So it's like, I'm trying to save you. I blew up the wrong wall. My bad. I'll go blow up a different wall. And, but you know, rather than, Hey, no big deal. It's like, Hey, what the hell are you doing? You're, you're dumbass. You know? Ugh. Yeah. It, it's kind of frustrating. <laughs> so like I said, there's, there's, there's really nothing redeeming about this little petulant shit. I, I, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get to what happens to him later, but yeah, I'm kind of glad to see, see him be, written out of this game, we'll say, when it happens. So, um, And from there, you're going around in the dark. Um, then you go back to the area with the lasers. I mean, now, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, the power power gets cut out, and because uh, Metal Gear shoots its uh, first missile, um, which, yeah. Yeah, the railgun, yeah, they... Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I thought this game was, like, already over. Like, I hadn't looked up how long this game was, and I was like, man, did I... Did I plow through this game a lot faster than you're supposed to? Because Metal Gear just shot off a, a, a nuclear missile, and you're like, oh, 
well, fuck, uh, this isn't going to turn out so well. And then thankfully, like, it, and you end up finding out it goes out in the middle of, like, the desert or something like that and just is a dud. It's a fake nuclear missile just to kind of show off, like, haha, hey, we can shoot these just so you know. So let's reconsider giving into my demands here, you know? So, yeah, so the power goes out. Uh, you kind of go back through the conveyor belt stage, but uh, now you just have to, you can get onto the conveyor belts and walk on them. You just have to crawl through the little things, which, yeah, yeah this, this section's it's not so great. It's not so bad either, but it's not so, there's really nothing to it. I mean, it's kind of a simple area. So, um, and then you go through the barracks again, which man, I don't know. I mean, this, <laughs> there's a lot of weird areas in this game here. Um, but this leads you to, am I remember Yeah. This is the pyro bison fight. No, it was, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Marionette Owl first. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. Oh, okay. So this one is, this is the weirdest boss fight I think I've ever dealt with in a Metal Gear game. And not, not in terms of like how you actually approach him, but just character wise, he is seriously jacked up. I mean, one, I thought it was a female for a little bit and then yeah, said, said he a few times I'm like, Oh, okay. So that is a dude. Um, He's, you know, he's basically got these two puppets that he controls and he fights in the darkness a lot. So this is where the night vision goggles or the thermal goggles will come in handy. Um, but he does make mention of the, of your figure and how nice your femurs are. So he clearly is making these puppets that he's controlling out of people parts. It's really yes, kind that of was kind of messed up. Yeah. And yeah, apparently, there's... well, uh, you can find out he's a, uh, serial killer and he like, he was a, uh, well, we'll find out a little more about that. But the other thing is the two uh, puppets, it was Koharu and I forget the the other name. I, I looked this up because I remember kind of wondering about that. Like, was that supposed to be something? And apparently those are the names of the two women in this one play. Uh, and it was called The Love Suicides at Amijima. And it was originally a Bunraku or puppet theater play. Okay. So... And back in, you know, basically, that's one of those where uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, Thunderbolt Fantasy or something along those lines where you had a large puppet like that and the puppeteer would actually be behind the puppet operating it and kind of moving it around and you could see the puppeteer. But that was one of the things that they did in that. But anyway, that was kind of a reference to the fact that he's got these two uh, dolls, basically, that except these ones are made of dead people, people? apparently yeah. So. Yeah, th- yeah um yeah so th- this fight yeah he turns he turns out the light and you basically need to use your thermal goggles or your night vision goggles um using the th- using the thermal goggles um might be an easier way of going about it in a sense if you can keep track of which one he is um th- this kind of brings up a little bit of the weakness of using of, of i guess the hardware of the game boy where switching between the items isn't nearly as brisk as it is in the PlayStation where, you know, you just tap the L1 and you just scroll real quick. Um, This, this does get a a little tedious kind of going back and forth with this, but I did enjoy this boss fight. I thought it was a pretty clever implementation of what they had to deal with. Um, If you like, basically they kind of go in a triangle and they sort of rotate around as to which one is which. Um, And if you shoot the uh, marionettes, they'll just attack you. Um, But if you shoot, um, if you shoot the, yeah, Mar- or why am I blanking on his name again? Mar- or Marionette Owl. Um, Marionette Owl, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's two birds in this one. That's a, I think it's a weird one <laughs> that I think about it. But anyway, um, if you shoot Marionette Owl, it, you know, it does damage. Uh, then that's kind of how you get through it. So it, it's sometimes best just to switch between the thermal goggles and the night vision goggles. Um, because I think once you hit him with the night vision goggles on, he 
throws a flashbang if I'm remembering right. Yeah, he'll throw a flashbang, and if you don't uh, switch him off fast enough, it'll blind you. Yeah, so that's so I think that's where using the thermal goggles might be the better option because I don't think it blinds you if you're using the thermals. So, right, yeah. So, but then when you have the night vision, you can see who it is. It's kind of like you have to switch between the two, kind of juggle. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I would figure out who who is or who is who in that one, and then just switch over to the thermals, and then just like as they rotate, I just keep track of who is who. Basically, it was a it, right. It was a pretty easy fight for the most part, but I enjoyed just like the mechanic of it. I just wish you know like. And again, this is not the or you know not Konami's fault for this one. This is just the Game Boy's limitations. But I, I do wish it was just an easier way to cycle through. I, but then it may have made the boss fight maybe a little too brisk, I suppose. So right. But anyway, um, yeah. So after after you get done beating him, uh, he kind of confesses to to you once again because he's dying, and why wouldn't he be? Um, just yeah, weird, weird, weird thing that everyone seems to need to tell Snake their life story, but. You know, he, he talks about finding his friend, like, blown into pieces, and then just, that's how he becomes, like, fascinated with them and everything, and just, yeah, it's really weird. And, you know, one thing we didn't mention is, um, of course, you know, you have your support team that you can use for Codec. Uh, Campbell's kind of useless. Um, a, a Weasel is the most useful one. He'll give you information, and then basically, eventually, we'll just tell you the trick on how to defeat the boss if you're looking for the trick. Um, McBride is kind of an asshole, and will just tell you, like, hey, you're the legend, figure it out yourself doesn't matter who you're fighting. It's like, yeah, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. And he's the one who adds the like the like geopolitical information to the to the game. Other than that, he's kind of I don't know. I, I found myself rarely ever contacting him. I would contact him during the bosses just to hear his kind of like jackass comment to me about being a legend. Figure it out yourself, buddy. But other than that, I, I, I didn't find myself calling calling Kodak pretty much throughout this game. So. Okay, so from here you end up uh, heading up. Yeah, you basically, are, is this where you climb up the mountain? Or whatever, right? Um, no, this is a jungle area, and you get the mine detector here, and you're going right. through an area where basically the, the whole purpose of this area is just crawl through it. Because yeah, there's mines everywhere, and there's like literally like no path you can take without running into a mine. So, but if, and of course you know picking up the mines is it makes it a little bit easier too because you can you know, collect mines. I, they, they, I didn't really find these useful until the very end of the game. I mean, we'll get to that, but yeah, that the mines didn't really feel like they were that great of a weapon to use in this one. So. Right. Especially since, you know, just, you kind of just, you know, go and take a couple shots at the enemies and the, they kind of drop like a fly there. I mean, there's really not much to this level either. Unfortunately, uh, this is, I, I think this one was kind of more gimmicky as far as just using the mine detector. So, uh, you get up, and I think this is where you're contacted and there you find out there might be a traitor in your mists. Uh, I think Weasel... Is Weasel the one that mentions... Oh, no. Um, man, who, is, who was, was it Pyro that okay. mentions a traitor? I thought it was uh, Viper. No, 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 no. I think it might have been Piper, uh, Pyro. I'm trying to think. 
Because like, this is where you anyway. run into the, the helicopter, right? Right. That's where Viper appears in the helicopter. And, and you to, doesn't they, or don't they pick up somebody in the helicopter? Uh, I can't remember, but later on you fight. What was it? See, for some reason, I'm not remembering this part. So yeah, you know, it, it, unfortunately, I don't know if it's maybe just because like this isn't as I suppose iconic as Metal Gear Solid. Like a lot of these things kind of blend together, and especially like it's weird because they're you know they're segmented in stages so easily. I, I, as good of a game as I feel this is, it's not re- really as memorable as Metal Gear Solid is. So. Well, part of the problem is they kind of it, it bleeds together a little bit whenever they get to, you know, it's like, well, we're going to mention this department like the DF LMNOP or, you know, the, the Gendra Liberation Front, you know, like it kind of bleeds together a little bit. So uh, you just got to know that it's like, OK, well, these are. Yeah, basically, it's it's kind of an excuse for a game. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's for the most part. All, all video game plots. I mean, you know, although, uh, you know, Kojima seems to have a have a nice little stance on some of his things that, you know, sometimes it, it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So, but anyway, um, yeah, so you're you kind of confronted in, uh, by Viper in a helicopter, uh, and then all of a sudden artillery starts raining down on you and you have to run backwards. Uh, Mei Ling calls you to let you know she's going to uh, update your codec or your uh, Soliton radar so you can see where um, the artillery shells are going to hit. Uh, unfortunately, I kind of kept getting hit by the artil- uh, artillery shells. And I can't say that word. By the shells. We'll just go with that. <laughs> and just, yeah, I, I, didn't find the, uh, I didn't find the radar upgrade very useful. I just kind of, like, ran, basically. I almost found it more noise than anything running back through the minefield. Like, yeah, yeah it wasn't. I don't think well, the radar upgrade would have been very or was very helpful. I think maybe just like giving you some sort of like shadow on the ground would have been more helpful. Yeah. It's a weird little design choice, but it's nothing nothing too terrible, so. And this is where you jump back into the power plant. Um you're supposed to go to the power plant to basically shut it off so uh Metal Gear can't shoot its railgun because it uses a lot of power. I mean, yeah, who would have thought? But I mean <laughs> that's another like weakness of metal gears in general. When you think about them is, you know, there's all, it just seems like sort of ridiculous that this gigantic, like mobile tank needs to be hooked up to power to be able to shoot its railgun, sort of defeating the purpose of having a walking battle tank, I suppose. <laughs> so I don't know what the, yeah. the issue is with this one, but um, yeah, this is where it makes a nice little callback to the flooding because you come across two more soldiers who say, Hey, there's, there's been, or, you know, all this flooding is, kind of leaked into the power plant and just be careful of the water because some of them, some of it's, uh, you know, got electricity going through it and, and you can't really tell which is which. So yeah, this is a, this is a weird little area. Um, there, there are some water, there is some water you can walk through, but it, there's really no indication as to like what water you can and cannot walk through. So yeah. And this also is kind of like one of those areas that I, I'm not, there's a puzzle towards the end of this one where you kind of have to like, shuffle through the crates basically like press your back up against it like you would be in if you're thinking like metal gear solid where you press your back up against the wall and then shuffle through these crates it's kind of a maze sort of thing and i i wasn't particularly fond of this area too like i would get so far into a certain point be like oh okay dead end cool and have to backtrack it it wasn't as frustrating as the conveyor belt thing but it's just i wasn't really wasn't too keen on this area so yeah that was kind of funny though like i, I don't know that felt really weird though like how uh narrow those like the little areas were but yeah no no i um, 
I, I don't know. I had a hard time doing the the wall crawl compared to some other things. It just seemed a little it was a little stiffer, I guess, and other other things. But might have just been me. I don't know. No, I agree. Like I, yeah, I, I don't think the wall crawl was something that was implemented very well in this one. I, I so rarely used it. I mean, really, the only time I ever used it was in these instances where you sort of had to use it or you were forced to use it. Um, there is a neat little thing that I didn't discover until I think maybe like the tenth stage of the game. But if you press your back up against the wall and then press, I think the B button, um, the direction that your back is to, it will pan the camera up or that direction. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know what made me accidentally press the B button, and I was like, wait, what just happened? And so, yeah, if you press your back up against the wall and do that, it'll kind of like, it's sort of the, you know, concession of that it can't actually do a 3D camera and show you, like, around the corner or whatever, but this is this is a way of kind of seeing what's a little bit further ahead if you can't, so. But it's only the direction that your oh, okay. back is, so it it's sort of limited in its use. There's there's not really a lot of areas you can go back to. Um, like I said, I played this through a second time, just or I just finished it up yesterday, and yeah it didn't come in handy as much as i thought it was going to so like i was like oh good now yeah. that i have this knowledge i can use it and then i started using it i'm like oh there's not really too many places you can use this so um and once you reach the end of this area this this yeah like i said this i i'd say the second weakest area of the game as far as just that that stupid shuffle puzzle i guess you can call it if you want to the snake shuffle puzzle um or maze uh, you come into might be the most interesting uh I, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. All, all these black chamber guys are interesting, but uh, this is uh, this is where you're introduced to Pyro, Pyro Bison, who he seems to get a little too into burning shit. I mean, I, I understand that uh, all these people get a little too into their shit, but man, um, it's it, it's a pretty cool boss fight. But again, this is just like lob grenades at him and it's pretty much he's a done deal. I mean, he's not really that much of a threat ever, unfortunately, but I didn't have much of a problem with him. Um but when he dies, he decides to, uh, you know, again, he confesses everything to you or whatever. And, you know, once again, tells you tell, tells you his sob story um, and then decides to light himself on fire uh, to kill himself because, you know, flames, flames are the great uh, equalizer. And, you know, let me let me tell you, I wasn't really sure if he was uh, committing suicide or coming because he's, you know, burning himself. Yeah, that like, was oh, a God. little weird. Yes. Yeah. It's like, woo, OK. <laughs> Well, he was talking about like you know the type of fuel he mixes. Yeah, you know, I mean he's supposed to be like a nutcase basically, but yeah, uh, yeah. All these all these uh, black chamber people seem to be nut jobs. So yeah, I mean he's talking about um how every body burns differently, and he wants to know like what how your body's gonna burn or whatever. He's saying you know soon enough I'll find yeah. out. And um, even which kind of is dumb. Like he brings up how many people you've killed up to this point, and yeah, I mean after that point, I think let me see, I was at fifty seven. <laughs> so. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, like I said, after a certain point, I gave up sneaking and just was like every person I came across, it's like, yep, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. And especially those areas where, you know, I got, I, you know, got found out, I would just go and shoot people. So let's see. But yeah, like I said, this, this boss fight's a little weird. Um, and well, not the boss fight, the boss is a little weird. Pyro Bison's just an oddity. Like I said, it's just, he really seemed to enjoy burning himself. So maybe, maybe a little too much. So. Um, and now this is where you go back through the, the power plant. You have to, is this, let's see. Yeah, this is an area where you get um, told that uh, you have 30 minutes before Metal Gear is going to launch again. Uh, so the best thing to do is just to bring down the entirety of the power plant because the floor around the uh, generator is now electrified. So you can't get to it, even though, you know, Sneak could probably just jump over the thing. But yeah, video game logic, you can't, 
can't think too hard on it. So, uh, apparently these pillars are randomly generated. I, I had no idea, uh, the, the walkthrough I was using, um, didn't seem accurate with that. And then the second time through, they were, these pillars were somewhere else. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, this is a pain in the ass. So So yeah, so uh, once you place the C4, the C4, you have uh, five minutes to get out of here, which isn't that bad, but if you're in a spot where it's pretty far away, um, kind of becomes a little bit of a pain in the ass to run through. I, I, I thankfully kind of got through an area, or put my last C4 in an area where I had plenty of time to get through, so it wasn't really that big of an issue for me, so. Okay. Did you, uh, did you have much of a problem with that? I... I don't know. Not not compared to. I, I I still think the the place that I had the the worst part was the the sorting facility. So yeah, that was uh, yeah that was an area where like I said uh, for me like I said that 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 was the low point of the game honestly. So this wasn't too bad. It was just the randomization of it made it really weird. Especially yeah, like, I didn't know like after you place the C four you're gonna have this five minute thing. So it's like if I had known that I was going to have to like run out the door in five minutes, I would have like thought about the placement. And I did that um, on my second playthrough. Like I went and found all the areas and then placed them as kind of as the most efficient way possible to get out of there. So the place closest to the exit was where the last one ended up going. So um, this is where you go to the jungle or back, back outside to the jungle area. Cause you know, you brought down, you brought down the house basically. Um, and, this is where, uh, you know, the, we, we've brought up that somebody mentioned that there's a traitor in your mists, and um, some of these, uh, I, I don't know if they've brought it up yet, but the guy anonymous that they keep, like, hinting to, um, I think, comes up here again. There's a fifth member member of Black Chamber, and all indications seem to be that it's Kris Jenner, your 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 love interest, of, because, you know, she's female and near you, so of course Snake's in love with her. Um, <laughs> and... You know, and she just seems to conveniently kind of pop in and out. Uh, they mentioned that she wasn't actually with Delta Squad when Delta Squad got wiped out. Um, as you're coming out here, you run into Jimmy again, which, yeah, thank God, this is the last we'll see Jimmy. Um, but he <laughs> he's or he was defended by one of the last, or the last, the other last, I guess, member of Delta Squad that survived. Um, they He got killed here uh, defending Jimmy. And he told, or he tells Jimmy before he dies that... Um, that Chris wasn't with them when they basically got attacked and wiped out, uh, giving right. you some kind of like hint that, Ooh, Chris isn't doing, or isn't quite what she seems. So there's every indication that, uh, Chris is the traitor in your miss. Uh, but snake believes her and has faith in her because why wouldn't he? I suppose. I don't know. It just snakes an oddly trusting guy. So, um, and then Jimmy thankfully, uh, starts telling you, about Metal Gear and uh, how else to take it out and, like, how it operates. 
And apparently he's, I didn't really catch it in the cutscene, but uh, he's wearing handcuffs. And then apparently there's a microphone built in the handcuffs and whoever this anonymous guy is or whatever, or no, I think this is Viper that blows him up, but uh, blows up the handcuffs. Yeah, it was Viper. Yeah, okay. And blows uh, Jimmy to smithereens. So nice way to him go out. And of course, Jimmy, just before, uh, just before he dies or get, or before he realizes he's going to die, he, um, he has this thing of, he wants to do better and wants to change and wants to create something to make things better rather than just, you know, make something cool, even though it kills people. I don't really care how it gets used, you know? And then, uh, yeah, his, uh, his, his moment of reckoning comes and he's like, but, but I thought you said I had time to make things better. It's like, well, I guess snake lied to you, buddy, or just didn't realize you were attached to a bomb. So goodbye, Jimmy. Uh, I no no 20, no 21 gun salute for you, Jimmy. Yeah, you will, you will not be missed. So, <laughs> Um, and then this is an area where you go up through the, uh, I think another, yeah, this is where you go through another minefield. Um, and as you're going up to this boss fight, um, there's the artillery guns that, uh, got taken out, which kind of look like cool little, well, not effect, but nice little like sprite work there where the, the guns are just kind of in shambles. I thought was a nice little like one-off thing you, that you don't see again here. And of course, because this is a Metal Gear game, you have to fight a helicopter, so, <laughs> which... Um, I didn't have too much of a problem with. Um, I thought you were gonna have to use the Nikita missiles only on this, but you could throw hand grenades at the helicopter. Which I don't know. Again, like I said, the hand grenades seem to be the or uh, you know the superstar of this game again. So uh, you beat or you blow up the yeah, you blow up the helicopter and you're tre treated to uh, the general who's the leader of the GLF's uh, second hand. Telling you, you know, like she's sort of in love with the general, felt, fell in love with her ideal or his ideals and everything and kind of just or she kind of gives Snake the choice of killing her or not killing her. And Snake says, oh, I'm out of ammo. So, and she's like, no, you're not. And she's like, you're lying. And he's like, no, oh, well. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm, I'm just being a nice guy. It's like, I, I'm sparing your life. Why are you arguing with me? OK, <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, because this is the area. Oh, yeah, getting back into the helicopter thing. This is where you see somebody get into the helicopter after the suspicion of it being Chris. And you see somebody get in the helicopter, and it looks like her sprite, kind of, because it's got lighter colored hair. So you're Yeah, I thought it was I, I thought it was Chris. And then she's uh, got, like, the blonde hair ponytail. So she doesn't really look anything like the character, so it's real weird. And yeah. then she pops up again later, and it's the same sprite. So I guess they just ran out of sprites to use, I guess. Yeah. They didn't want to give her a different one. Yeah. I, I think what they did was try to convey that um, Snake was a good ways off and couldn't really tell the difference from, from that distance. And I think that's, I could see that. I, I, I think that's as, you know, I think it's as close to an answer as I could possibly give that maybe. <laughs> so. Yeah. Because, I mean, you literally were like maybe, oh, I don't know. Uh, an inch down from her when when you see her get onto the helicopter like you're not very far off but i think uh the way it conveyed it was like oh snake's pretty far off and can't really tell if it was chris or not it just seems to be the same same color hair and it's a female so clearly it has to be crispy training you so this is where you end up going to the metal gear metal gear headquarters um and i think this is where um chris calls you and gets very remorse about she feels like she can't do anything right i think this is where she tells you what she was actually doing was uh here basically to wipe out uh any indication or proof that the united states was involved in this whatsoever like the united states was trying to kind of disrupt things by getting the metal gear back up and running and all this like like i said this this kind of gets into colonialism and stuff and it's just, it's a really weird plot point no uh, i don't know it, there's a lot of heavy-handedness going on for a game boy game so 
I don't know about you, but this is probably my favorite area in this game. Uh, I felt like they did it really well as far as like using everything you learned up to this point in as far as sneaking in your tools and the areas weren't very confusing. This is I think three levels, if I'm remembering right. Like one, two, three. Yeah, I think it's like three or four floors you have to get through. Um, yeah. And I, I think they did a pretty good job of, you know, they're not really connected to each other. So it, it's not where it's like, okay, I have to think like spatially, like, okay, I'm on this area and this drops down to this area. It, it just sort of like, you know, in a way, like three stages or four stages you have to get through. And I think they did a pretty good job of doing that. Um, you know, one thing I didn't mention before is I really like the elevator sprite or like, you know, animation in this game. I don't know why. I think it's kind of just a cool little like, movement thing it looked like 3d it was a really good animation i thought yeah i was pretty surprised like just like how kind of cool it looked um this is sort of where the area that i was a little like i got a little tired of seeing it just because you would uh i think you went yeah, from like the first basement to, switch, to yeah. the 50 50th basement and then from there it was like the 98th or 99th basement and then when you're in the 98th basement, I mean, God, you got to think like how many, how deep this thing goes, a hundred stories deep <laughs> underground. I mean, it's got to Also, it was in the original too. So, uh, I believe. Okay. Um, and then when you get to the 98th, you, you see metal gear. Um, I forget the, I forget the actual name of this metal gear, but I don't think it really matters. Um, but yeah, you see this metal gear up on the 98th and 99th floor. Uh, and then as you're going to, I guess the metal gear hangar, uh, I, I think this is the area where you find like the the shambles, the wreckage of the original or the of Metal Gear from Metal Gear One, if I'm remembering right. Or yeah. Metal Gear Two. Yeah, like you see the wreckage of it. And it's a pretty cool little sprite, and just like, oh, well, that's neat that they did that. So. Black Arts Viper. Or Black Arts Viper, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's because uh, he's into magic, I guess. Or it seems like he's into magic. Um, this boss fight was kind of cool, but it was kind of slow, too, just because of the way it was paced. Basically, he sets up tripwires on these pillars that are throughout the area, and you have to kind of maneuver through them. Um, you get a quick flash of where the tripwires are, and they, um, you have to remember where they are, and then he'll move to a different area, or he'll flash them again and move them, I guess. I don't know what exactly the the concession is on that, but he moves them around, so. Uh, and basically, you sort of have to, like, maze your way through, or you can just trip the wires and just take the hit and go for them, but, that, yeah, you go through a lot of rations that way. Yeah, Black Arts Viper, like, gives you the whole thing of, like, you know, the whole reason he's doing this is because he's... This he's is where he tells off you... Because basically, the, yeah, he goes on his life story about how everybody was killed. So it's kind of actually, it sounds a lot like the story of what happened to dead cell too, in uh, metal gear, uh, solid two, but they got, yeah, they had to do a mission and then they got 
you know, turned on and, you know, wiped out. So they want to get revenge against the U.S. government. So Yeah, because if I remember right, um, he, he's talking about the events of Metal Gear 2 where uh, Foxhound becomes becomes like the celebrated unit and Snake becomes, you know, the legend or whatever. And then because they're they're so up in the, I guess, as much as a military unit becomes in the public eye, but they become in the public eye as much as they do. So uh, Black Chamber sort of becomes the, the black ops people who do the stuff that Foxhound used to do. And they did, and then yeah, yeah, they did. They they did a mission where they needed to be basically wiped off the face of the earth, and uh, they they sent Foxhound to do that. If I'm remembering right, right? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. And it was Campbell that ordered it, and you know right. you find that out. So it was kind of like, okay, well, yeah, yeah. There's like I said, there's a lot to this thing. You wouldn't really think so. Yeah. Um. Uh, this isn't the last we'll see of him. He's uh, he kind of you know gets out of this one. So. Yeah, it was after that you, uh, let's see. Yeah, you finally meet the, was that the? General, right? Yes, that was where you met met the general. You had to, that was actually a pretty cool fight, like uh, in showing the scale of the Metal Gear compared to, you know, because you only have so much of a screen. uh, uh, You know, you can't show the whole thing. So you're basically only seeing its legs coming down on you and you had to get it to step on weapons you could use i i used the c4 but you could use the uh mines too couldn't you yes yeah yeah okay, i cool. um i i was using the mines originally and i was having a harder time with the mines so after i died the first time trying to do this i went to the c4 and found the c4 a lot a lot more useful okay cool and then after that this is this this is the part where like i i i, I don't know about you like i tried to get through this metal gear or the metal gear fight like after you blow up its legs you basically are fighting this crippled metal gear now but i i had a hard time like trying to figure out exactly what i was supposed to be doing and i ended up dying a couple times before i got got what you're supposed to do so there it shows like three areas that uh, metal gear is kind of weak to or three yeah three things you have to attack basically uh there's the gun turret that's up front and then when you attack those as a countermeasure it will do like another gun turret that pops up out of the middle of its fuselage. Yeah. They had a flamethrower like in the, the mouth area kind of, and then there are also these little drones that pop out and attack you too. So this thing was a damage sponge. I mean, Jesus Christ, this, this fight drug on quite a bit. I mean, thankfully, like if you run out of Nikita missiles or grenades, it'll give you, it'll give you more grenades. So, cause I, once I got to the second part of this, cause like basically the first part of this fight, you're supposed to throw a grenade at the, at the front gun turret. It will pop up the, um, the secondary gun turret and you're supposed to throw grenades at that and blow it up basically. And then switch sides and do it on the other side. And then once you get or blow up those two, it'll start shooting missiles at you. Or once you blow up the first one, it starts shooting missiles at you while you're doing this. Um, I actually kind of threw a grenade at, uh, parts that you weren't really supposed to a few times and just ended up hitting myself with them. I don't know, but I don't know if you had any oh. issues with that. <laughs> no, I, I was okay. But I mean, I did run out of grenades though. So yeah, and then uh, the, you know, it, it responds, you know, but uh, yeah, it's a little, a little tricky to run and go get them when you got the missiles like flying all over the place too. So, um, and then the second part of this fight, uh, basically like it turns into uh, like the sort of, second half of the Metal Gear Rex boss fight where it opens its mouth starts shooting a flame at you and you're supposed to like throw grenades into its face basically or into its mouth and kill it that way so yeah um, and th- this is where I started running out of uh, grenades and I, I think twice I ran out of grenades and I had to go and get run to the side and go get more grenades because yeah then it's like I said this thing's a damaged sponge I think they could have maybe done with maybe 
having this thing take a quarter less damage, and I think it would have felt a little bit better, but all in all, it was a pretty good boss fight, and like you said, they did a really good job of conveying the scale of Metal Gear with the limited resources they had to work with, so... Um, once you blow up Metal Gear, the general tells you everything that's been going on. Um, I'm not going to go ahead and... I, I don't think we really need to get into this part because, well, one, we're a little pressed for time. And two, there is a lot of plot dump going on in this section, so... But then, yeah, basically the long story short is something happened. I actually, to be honest with you, I kind of got bored and I skipped through it because it was just, um, you know... The story, it's like we were saying, the story was kind of, and that, that's one of the things, like, uh, I kind of jumped through some of it. Like, I thought the the little text dumps from the bosses were all right. I didn't really care what the general had to say, because the overall story, it's like, the only things that I really took from it is Snake came in, there was some plot from government officials, and there was a, you know, they were trying to use Snake to get things and then they were going to double cross them and everybody else and kill them and some other shit happened. And yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll kind of run down this real quick. Cause I think, I think what happens first is you, it, it ends up being the final chapter basically, but you fight uh black arts Viper again while metal gear is going up, up in an elevator, the elevator or once like metal gear gets to the top of the ele- elevator, it'll activate a satellite system which will throw or you know not throw <laughs> launch nuclear missiles down which again if you've got satellites with nuclear missiles what the hell is the point of metal gear kind of i don't know just yeah it's weird you've got this gigantic walking battle tank and that's what activate activates the satellites that have nuclear missiles it's like what why what what is the, what is the point of that but anyway um so you have like 90 seconds to beat him i I was having a hard time the first, like, maybe 30 seconds, and then once I figured it out, like, I, I beat him with, like, maybe 15, 20 seconds to spare. Um, basically, you attack him, and then whatever side of the screen is on, uh, he'll flash and then go to the opposite side of that screen. So you basically just have to kind of keep that in mind, and then just, it's basically just shoot him, because he doesn't really do much damage to you at this point, so. Uh, once you do that, so I'll give a quick rundown of, of what I'm remembering from this thing. Um, yeah, because, like you, I kind of got bored with the story here, Um Basically, Weasel messages you, lets you know that uh, he found the traitor in your miss. It wasn't Chris. It turns out to be McBride the whole time. He he was the fifth. No, he's not there. He I, don't know, I forget what the hell. But basically, yeah. like, he disfigured himself and uh, got plastic surgery to change his appearance and is a uh, double agent. I think if I'm remembering, like, he's the fifth member of Black Cell, and that's how everything was going on, and that's why he, like, berates you a little bit when you call and ask him for advice during a boss fight, because it's like, oh, well, you're the legend, you should know. So he's kind of, not showing his hand a little bit, but showing his hand a little bit. Um, Weasel ends up killing him. Uh, you find out, the like, the, this big old conspiracy, and it turns out Weasel is uh, was brought on to this to basically kill everyone involved once once it's all over with but he has a change of heart because he thinks you're all a bunch of softies and he likes you so i don't know what the hell happened there uh you know so he's like oh but I, I, you know he's like i'll probably just get half my pay for letting you guys get away but whatever i'll take it and you know campbell says like oh thanks i'll, I'll repay you somehow and then weasel's like i doubt it but thanks anyway so uh so yeah so basically that's a uh, yeah, oh, and then of, of course, you know, Chris and Snake reunite and they're, uh, you know, they're they're in love with each other and they ride off into the sunset in a Jeep and yeah, I get that's that's Metal Gear Solid Ghost Babble. Pretty much. No, the uh, I think it's it is one of those things where you I don't know, you kind of play it for 
the game itself yeah. rather than the story. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Joe. It's This is sort of one of those things where, like, I, I found the game fun, and I actually kind of do want to go back to these, like, special missions that it unlocks once you beat the game. Um, it unlocks, like, 300 uh, extra missions you can do, and if you beat all of them, you're sort of... It's sort of alluded that you've been playing as Raiden during these VR missions or these special missions. Um, he's This is, like, the super soldier training that Raiden went through, so... Um, yeah, like I said, it's kind of a cool little game. Um... And like I said, gameplay's a little bit stronger than the story, but I mean, like I said, you kind of got to look at it as uh, this is a this is Metal Gear Solid on a Game Boy Color. Uh, the fact that this thing works at as well as it does is astounding, and the fact that it's still I wouldn't say pretty, it's very playable today, even you know with today's standards. And you know, I I'm I, I'd have a hard time not recommending this game. This is definitely one of my favorite uh, Game Boy era games now. So, well, to my knowledge, they'd ever put this on the virtual console, did they? No. No, this is another one of those things that just, it's really sad that it's just sort of lost to history unless you want to pay a lot of money for the cart or just, you know, you want to emulate it. So, and that's, that's, that's the way we both played it, I would imagine. Well, and that's the thing. I actually, I, I couldn't fund my copy, so I had to put a, a ROM on a flash card, but... never got to play the full thing through but there was the the european version got a little more content than they did on the u.s version and it's actually this other thing that was in the japanese version it's this little mini we can talk about this real quick that it's it's called yeah. idea spy uh well it's 2.5 but it's pronounced too hot in, in japanese uh but it's this really weird little uh radio play thing and after a while, they eventually, uh, Hideo Kojima and some other people that worked for Kojima Productions ended up doing an actual um, podcast radio play of this series. But it was kind of, it's it's really weird. It's about some guy, and he, he's a spy that fights against a company that makes these kind of like, as seen on TV type uh, things. Basically, and, all products. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's just really weird because like they'll just stop and then say the name of a product like it was supposed to be an advertisement for something. And it's kind of yeah, I mean, it's fun, but you basically have to play through the game. I mean, in the European version, you had to play through the game and then there's like a radio frequency you can call in once per chapter and then you get the, you know, uh, the full story that way. But it's I thought that was kind of a neat idea. But uh we didn't get that in the U.S. for whatever reason. Yeah, so. I, I wonder what the reasoning behind that was. Um, like, I mean, I, I, I watched the whole thing on YouTube, and there's nothing, like, salacious in there. I mean, if anything, it is a much more, like, 
E-rated thing than uh, yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah, it's very strange why they didn't do that. I don't know if it was because of time or what, but I um, and there was some talk about it because uh, the uh, lady that translated the game she you know mentioned about that that was like her favorite part of the game was basically this because it just how weird it was. So I thought that was kind of neat, and it was I still need to go through and finish the second playthrough to get the full story the real way. But, uh, kind of, I don't know. Like you were saying though, uh, it's, it's just really weird. And, uh, it's very silly. It's very silly, but I, I guess it kind of plays into the, you know, there is a spy aspect to, uh, metal gear and it's kind of, a like a weird 60s spy type thing. You know, that that's really all I can say about it. Yeah, you know, without it, going into the whole it's got a very like goofy, like get smart thing kind of feeling to it. Like with the yeah, um, like uh, two point five, the the I guess the main character of this thing um, that you're sort of following his adventures. Um, there's a part where he and another character are stuck in a you know you think the trash compactor in uh in Star Wars, and he pulls out uh, this pull up bar this uh, that works for you know it's another product placement thing, but pulls out this pull up bar thing that it will adjust to any wall so you can do your pull ups anywhere. Uh, to stop the walls from closing in. And then he's like, oh no, it's just adjusting to the walls as they close. <laughs> so it's a little brace ended up being for nothing. And then there's there's a part where he loses the contact and the contact is actually like this gigantic explosive device that he tricks the, a tank into running over to blow up the tank. It's, it's like I said, there's a lot of weird, crazy stuff. And it's it doesn't really add anything as far as like Metal Gear type stuff. It's just a silly little thing to, to kind of check out. And it's worth it. I wouldn't sit down and uh, watch or, you know, this thing all, all at once on YouTube. I split this up probably over like two or three days. Like, like I'd take a few episodes in chunks and just go with that. And cause doing this all at once, it's like, cause they're about five minutes each and at 13 a pop. I mean, that's like, you know, you're like, you're looking at like almost a movie that you're sitting through with just looking at a codex screen, which, you know, is almost metal gear itself sometimes. But, yeah. but anyway, yeah, that, that was a, like I said, I, I didn't even know about that. till you pointed that out to me. So I'm, I'm glad you did. I, I, well, and that's the thing. Thing. I didn't find out about that until well after the fact. So it was something that I may never have known about, but, you know, uh, found out through, I won't, I won't plug them, but, uh, <laughs> no, they, uh, they, uh, there was an interview with the translator and I won't go into the history on that either. Oh, yeah. Um, but basically, uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting that they, that even was there. Yeah. I'm yeah. kind of, disappointed they didn't do that more with other things they had like the little hidden songs in um uh metal gear solid three but that's about it i was kind of and then i guess in four you had the podcast that you could get for the ipod but that was about it there really wasn't uh yeah. but i, I think mean, it would have been kind of cool if they had like a radio drama yeah i would have liked something like that i mean you know especially like this day and age of podcasts where a lot of people like play podcasts while they're playing video games it's like it's a way to keep your attention on the on the game itself and yeah metal gear solid 5 did have the uh you know the the 80s tapes you could collect or music tapes you could collect too yeah so i mean it, it, me personally like you know when i ride it on the helicopter it was just ride of the valkyries i mean it's just it just felt natural so <laughs> a little silly to be sure but you know maybe a little not maybe a little Definitely cliched on my part, but whatever. So, but anyway, uh, yeah, Metal Gear Solid Ghost Babel. See, I knew, see, I almost said Babel, so don't worry about it, Joe. <laughs> it's so, okay. 
yeah, great little game. Um, definitely recommend it if you want to go through uh, like and just see like what Metal Gear can possibly be like on a uh, on a very very primitive piece of hardware. Um, you know, the MSX was definitely more powerful, but you know this 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 is like I said a nice middle ground of those games and as far as technology and modern concessions go. So I was very impressed with what they uh, what they managed to pull off with this. And unfortunately, like they did kind of hint that there might have been a sequel in the works um, at the end of or that there was a sequel that they could kind of lean into where Snake goes off um, on a mission to I don't want to say kill, but it sounds like he's going after the politicians that keep using soldiers basically um, to, you know, to their own ends and hunt them down. Uh, but that sort of like alludes a little bit to Metal Gear Solid, what Metal Gear Solid 2 ended up being about where, you know, Snake sort of becomes like this, uh, you know, freelance uh, guy trying to keep Metal Gear basically from ever happening again. So it, it's like I said, it's this little these little nods to future games that come up in this thing is that and it actually has nothing to do with the uh, the, the series as a whole is kind of cool. So anyway, Joe, any final thoughts on Metal Gear Ghost Babble? No, I uh, I highly recommend it if you uh, come across it uh it's definitely worth playing it's it still holds up really well it's uh something that i think that if people are into pixel art and everything i think that this is a really good one to study and take a look at because of the just how intricate the animations are they did a really great job with very small sprite characters so it's i i think that this has some of my favorite uh sprite art on games because I, I like little detailed things along those lines. So, yeah, especially considering the size of these, of these things, like they, they did, they did a right. really great job with the characters. So, and especially like I said, the, like the codex stuff, um, the, you know, their, their portraits, they, it really, really did cool. And, it's, and we didn't really talk about this year. You know, I'll bring it up real quick, but like um, at the both death scenes, like it's always like sort of like, you know, these, the blacked out shadows of, of Snake right. And, whoever he just killed or whatever. And it's really like really kind of striking that way. I'm sure it was just maybe easier to, um, to animate it that way. But like, I think it did a really good job of like kind of portraying like what was going on in the game. Um, there's even one where, right. um, snake is holding up a gun to I think Sophie is her name. Um, the general's yeah. right hand. Um, and, he's, and she's like on her knees basically waiting for snake to execute her. And he's just kind of sitting there with the gun pointed to her. And it's just like, and it's just, you know, this blue background with, uh, with them and just, you know, kind of black shadows, um, or, you know, just black pixels. And it's really, like you said, it, it's very striking. So actually I might use that as the, if I can find, dig up a picture of that, I might actually use that as the, as the portrait art for this, for this episode. Cause yeah, it really kind of struck me as cool. So anyway, um, I like that. And the, uh, the, my favorite little effect, well, there's two of them was, uh, when you fought, um, what was it, Slasher Hawk, you could see two little dots of light on the silhouette for his eyes, and then when he dies, they go black. So I thought that was kind of cool. And the uh, at the beginning, there's the laser sights uh, being trained on Snake. That was really cool. I oh, thought that was a neat right. little. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like you said, just for just for sprite work alone. I mean, I think this game is definitely worth playing. I mean, I guess it's story wise, it's a little. Even by Metal Gear standards, I think it's a little ridiculous and heavy-handed. But yeah, I, I, just like sprite work and gameplay-wise, this is this is a wonderful Game Boy game. So anyway, uh, that'll wrap up this game club. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jason Ariola and Joe. We can follow you at Joe Starson. Yep, J O E S T A R R S A N. All right, great. Or All at right. well at. 
I always hate to say anyway, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can follow me at at you know. It's just like yeah, it's a weird Twitter thing. So <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, and you guys know what to do with social media for us. If uh, you know, we have five star review on iTunes would be nice occasionally. Uh, you know, we could we could really use some of those, get some exposure. Uh, or if you don't want to do all that stuff, just tell a friend, recommend a friend, or recommend to a friend uh, the podcast because we've gotten a few listeners that way. It's been a big help. So um, anyway, thanks for listening, and we will talk at you guys next time.